This is RCT number 16, conceived by the Holy Ghost. RCT stands for the Roman Catechism of Trent. We are on pages 42 to 44. This is the Creed, Article 3, Part A. God give you his peace in nomine Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. O heavenly King, comforter, spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasurer of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us of all impurity and save our souls, O good one. In nomine Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. The Roman Catechism of Trent, also known as the Catechism of Pope St. Pius V, Article 3 of the Creed reads, Who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary? It begins by telling us the importance of this article. From what has been said in the preceding article, the faithful can understand that in bringing us from the relentless tyranny of Satan into liberty, God has conferred a singular and surpassing blessing on the human race. But if we place before our eyes also the plan and means by which he deigned chiefly to accomplish this, then indeed we shall see that there is nothing more glorious or magnificent than this divine goodness and beneficence towards us. Me here. Notice the catechism here is saying that we never really deserved the incarnation. You know, every Christmas it seems we, well, we seem to take for granted somehow that God himself, think about this, God himself would come to the very species who rejected him in the garden through numerous murders throughout the Old Testament and countless pagan kingdoms. And this was the species he, he then chose to bring eternal life to, this very species, this race of men and women who rejected him. And that's why the Catechism says here, if we place before our eyes also the plan and means by which he deigned chiefly to accomplish this, it's talking about the incarnation here, God becoming man, the second person of the Trinity, becoming an embryo in the Blessed Virgin Mary, the ever-Virgin Mary, then indeed, the Catechism says, we shall see that there is nothing more glorious or magnificent than this divine goodness. Goodness is such a key word here because God was under no constraint to do this. So I really believe we should probably, in our own prayer life, start asking God to open our selfish eyes and open these complaining tongues to stop complaining and start praising his infinite goodness more and more. And in these dark days where a lot of us are suffering a ton, a ton, part of this is realizing God did not cause this mess in our church and our state at all. God is infinite goodness. Who respects our freedom, as you all know? A famous French priest in the 20th century said, If I reject God's justice, I can flee to his mercy. But if I reject his mercy, to where shall I flee? In other words, the incarnation is our last chance. There is no other option besides Jesus to escape the hell we deserve and make it to heaven forever. This is due to the, the mercy he offers us on earth, but the justice comes at our particular judgment. So today is the time for mercy in the confessional, not tomorrow. And then keep in mind that the next line mentions the pastor. What I'm going to read you next mentions this pastor. Who is this mysterious pastor? we keep hearing about in this 16th century catechism. Well, the reason we hear a mention of what the pastor should do is this Roman catechism of Trent was written specifically for priests to study during the week in preparation for their Sunday sermons. In fact, if you look in the front of your book, you can actually see 
how you can go, a priest could go through this entire book in the 16th or 17th or 18th or 19th or even today, 20, 21st century, you can go through all the catechetical aspects of today's catechism through the entire old calendar liturgical year, especially on Sundays. So in the next line I'm going to read, you notice that the word pastor, that's just the instruction to um, the priest for whom this catechism of Pius V was written. It reads, the first part of this article, who was conceived? The pastor then should enter on the exposition of this third article by developing the grandeur of this mystery, which the sacred scriptures very frequently propose for our consideration as the principal source of our eternal salvation. Its meaning he should teach to be that we believe and confess that the same Jesus Christ, our only Lord, the Son of God, when he assumed human flesh for us in the womb of the virgin, was not conceived like other men from the seed of man, but in a manner transcending the order of nature, that is, by the power of the Holy Ghost. See Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, Luke 1, 35. So that the same person remaining God as he was from eternity became man what he was not before. Okay, me again, just a few things to notice here. One, uh, a friend who was teaching in a Catholic seminary, a layman, was actually shocked to hear a lot of seminarians knew that Mary was a virgin at the birth of Jesus, but they didn't understand Mary was a virgin before and during and after the birth of Jesus forever. This is why she's known as the ever-Virgin Mary. You know, evangelicals, Protestants out there even admit uh, that Mary was a virgin at the birth of Jesus, but um, it's Catholics and Orthodox who recognize, of course, that she is the ever-Virgin Mary. Mary was a virgin before the birth of Jesus and even during the birth of Jesus because of the miraculous birth, and of course, after the birth of Jesus forever. That's why she's the ever-Virgin Mary. It's not good enough um, to extol the virgin birth without also extolling the fact Mary is ever and perpetual virgin. Another couple things to notice right there. Um, if you noticed in the, the section I just read you, it was very clear that Catholics were always expected to know the scriptures. So it's not an invention of Vatican II, like everybody says, that Catholics were finally called to know the scriptures. That's just a, that's just a modern myth. Go back in your catechism, the old catechism I'm reading today. Look in the section I just read you from the Roman Catechism of Trent, and it's clear Catholics have always been expected to know the scriptures. That doesn't mean that everybody has a Bible collecting dust on their shelf, but they were expected to have the scriptures in their heart. And the other thing I want to point out right there in the section I just read is notice that God the Son did not stop being God in heaven as he, were, as he walked the earth. In fact, God the Son remained both in heaven and on earth as he walked the earth as man. Now, of course, all of you know God is not contained within space and time. But similarly, we can, of course, not say that there is any place or time without him. In fact, think of our opening prayer to every episode in the RCT. O heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present. And even though every demon and damned soul is in a perpetual state of hatred against God, God is there in hell too. Did you know that? King David wrote in the Psalms, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy face? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I descend into hell, thou art present. Did you hear that? If I descend into hell, thou art present. That's Psalm 139, verse 8 in the Dewey Rhymes Bible. Psalm 139 in the ESV. 
The Catechism continues that such is the meaning of the above words as clear from the creed of the Council of Constantinople, which says, Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man. The same truth we also find unfolded by St. John the Evangelist, who imbibed from the bosom of the Lord and Savior himself the knowledge of this most profound mystery. For when he had declared the nature of the divine word as follows, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he concluded, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Confer John chapter 1. The Word, which is a person of the divine nature, assumed human nature in such a manner that there should be one and the same person in both the divine and human natures. Hence, this admirable union preserved the actions and properties of both natures. And as Pope St. Leo the Great said, the lowliness of the inferior nature was not consumed in the glory of the superior, nor did the assumption of the inferior lessen the glory of the superior. Okay, me again. So notice here, Jesus is one person with two natures. We've, always, we've already talked about that, but please, if you memorize anything today, let it be that one divine person with two natures, one human and one divine. The Catechism continues, by the Holy Ghost. As an explanation of the words in which this article is expressed is not to be omitted, the pastor should teach that when we say that the Son of God was conceived By the power of the Holy Ghost, we do not mean that this person alone of the Holy Trinity accomplished the mystery of the Incarnation. Although the Son only assumed human nature, yet all the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, were authors of this mystery. It is a principle of Christian faith that whatever God does outside himself in creation is common to the three persons, and that one neither does more than nor acts without another. Okay, me here. In English, we have the noun attribute, with the emphasis on the first syllable there, attribute, like an attribute of a tiger is that it has stripes. And then in English, we have the verb attribute. Notice the emphasis on the second syllable, like I attribute my success on the court to my uncle who taught me how to play tennis. So we're about to hear the verb here, just in a minute, that we attribute one certain thing in time and space to one person of the Trinity, And then we attribute another certain thing in time and space to another person of the Trinity because of of how it corresponds to this inner Trinitarian set of relationships and emanations in eternity. That's really complex. You don't have to worry about what I just said. But the point is that it is always all three persons of the Trinity doing everything, all of creation, all of redemption, and all of sanctification. The only exception to this is that God the Son is the only person who became man on earth. I guess there's a couple other exceptions. Again, the relations of the emanations in eternity, but we're not getting into that today. The point is that anytime we even talk about creation, it's not just God the Father who did this. Um, Even though God the Father is the eternal origin of the Trinity, really God the Son and God the Holy Spirit did know less than God the Father in creating the world. That's really important to remember. Um, Or another example, the saints call Jesus eternal wisdom, but of course that doesn't mean the Father is any less wise than Christ. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and Son, but of course that doesn't mean the Son is any less an aspect of eternal charity than the Holy Spirit. So keep that noun, attribute, and then the verb attribute, keep those in mind as the catechism continues for today's final section. 
but that one emanates from another, this only cannot be common to all. For the Son is begotten of the Father only, and the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father and the Son. Anything, however, which proceeds from them extrinsically is the work of the three persons without difference of any sort. And of this latter description is the incarnation of the Son of God. Of those things, nevertheless, that are common to all, the sacred scriptures often attribute some to one person, some to another. Thus, to the Father, they attribute power over all things, to the Son, wisdom, to the Holy Ghost, love. Hence, as the mystery of the incarnation manifests the singular and boundless love of God towards us, it is therefore, in some sort, peculiarly attributed to the Holy Ghost. Please say an hour, Father, for me, et benedictio Deum nepotentis. Patris et fidi et spiritus santi, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.